Hello, this is Future PMC. We are currently releasing episodes to the main feed of Radio Free Mercury, our patron-exclusive podcast series that covers The Witch for Mercury on a week-to-week basis as it airs. This week, we are releasing our discussion on episode 6. This podcast was originally published on November 9th, 2022. If you want to access the rest of the Radio Free Mercury episodes, that is to say, our discussions on episodes 7 through 12, can head over to patreon.com slash giant robot fm while we're waiting for new episodes of the witch for mercury to air hopefully in april we will be releasing twice a month episodes discussing turn a gundam a series that we are calling moon race wireless and in fact the first of these episodes just released on the main feed of a few days ago so please check that out if you're interested in turn a gundam thank you and enjoy the podcast This is Giant Robot FM, your home of all things mecha, be it giant or otherwise. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I am uh, Alon3, joined with me by Alon2. See what I did there, PMC? I I do see what you did there. We used to start these podcasts with like little, what would you call them, PMC? Like little tags, little... Yeah, we would like assign ourselves, like, you know, there's some sort of series of things in the episode, you know, could do a little bit. (laughs) Too much work. (laughs) <laughs> the grind never stops i gotta make shitty memes that's what i'm spending my time doing <laughs> you hear pmc in the background of course this is a patron exclusive episode a radio free mercury episode i was thinking today maybe i should start with a new opening because of course i say this is giant robot fm maybe for the radio free mercuries i'll come up with like a little jingle probably not um, like i said i'm busy making shitty memes um so i do not have time for that and also like at the ass crack of dawn or like while I should be teaching, uh, looking up mechs online to make sure the content for Mecha Day keeps happening. But we are not alone, PMC and I, Alon 3 and Alon 4. We are joined by maybe Alon 7, Lau R. <laughs> Griffin. Welcome to the podcast, my friend. Uh, first time podcast experience overall for you, right? Yeah, it is. And great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yes, you are a, I refer to you informally when I'm thinking about who I'm going to invite on the podcast. I think of you're a part of a group that I consider like the Mecca Notables or Mecca Luminaries online. Uh, feel free uh, to put that on your resume if you want, <laughs> Mecca Luminaries. Um, people who are great, great Twitter followers have great opinions about Mecca and are clearly, of course, enthusiastic about Mecca. Uh, look, I'm in, in, storied, uh, in storied company there. I mean, that's like people like Thomas Nabel and, and so on. Like, that's, a, uh, that's an honor. <laughs> I don't know if I'm the one to distribute those honors, but nonetheless, I, I did and will in the future. Now, Lau, tell us a bit about yourself. Um, I know you're a writer. I know you're a mecha enthusiast. What are your bona fides? Um, well, you know, I, uh, studied, I studied law at night. Um, I'm, I'm Lau Griffin. I am a, a wannabe writer and guy on Twitter. Um, uh, under a different name, I, I run a website named Sufficient Velocity, which is a, a, a forum, an old-style forum, which is still ticking along. And increasingly feeling necessary in uh, these current times with what's happening on Twitter. <laughs> so, um, yeah, look, that takes up a lot of my time. Yeah, I'm always, I, this last week, I keep messaging PMC, like, should I make Should I make a Mastodon? Should I do this? Should I do that? I've got, like, three accounts. I'm just too lazy and too old to, <laughs> to care. 
Macedon is that good. Macedon is quite a... It's not super complicated, but it is a little bit more complicated. And I've been I've been considering that as well, but I don't know. It's just not quite the same, is it? No, I, I think I actually made... I remember making a Mastodon when I was living in an apartment in a different state. And like the fact that it's like now surfaced as a as like a, an alternative again like once again I've, people have talked about alternatives to twitter many times but the fact that it surfaces an alternative again feels like a like a like a being haunted by the undead like i thought this thing died <laughs> and now it's back and everyone is talking about it it's like um it's like when i quit dota and then people started playing league of legends and that's a that's a zombie that's still animated people are still talking about it oh, it is a little bit like that <laughs> inappropriate too you know the mastodon is an extinct animal mm-hmm I didn't know Mastodon was around that long, PMC. Oh yeah, no, it's been it's been around a long time, and I'm sure it will have its day, just like Linux on desktop will have its day. Uh, to steal a joke from someone on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, Twitter has never been worse, maybe, than it is now, but also it's never been as good. Like, there's so many, there's so many like banger memes just being fired from the hip every like three seconds. It's genuinely a very funny time. Yeah, uh, alas, but we are not here to talk about. Well, we are here to talk about corporate overlords, not that corporate overlord. Um, before we jump into the episode proper, Lau, how are you enjoying Witcher Mercury? And also, feel free to talk about your history with Mecca, too. Oh, look, I'm loving it. Like, um, I was excited. I've, I, started, I first started watching like, Gundam, like, back in the, in the 90s sometime, um, and sort of really got into it um, in the early 2000s, and especially with Gundam 00, which was sort of my... The first one I watched while it was airing, um, and ever since, which is about fifteen years, I've been waiting for this exact show. So it's been it's been great, and it's great that it's been good, and so many people are liking it. It's like it's quite a um, you know every week is a really enjoyable time. Everybody gets on it. It's very funny in a way that Gundam shows often aren't. So people pick up on stuff, and it generates sort of conversation. It's fantastic. You know, I'm a I'm a huge huge Gundam fan. Gundam is my favorite series. And um, yeah, it's just, um, it's always nice to see it be so loved, especially after, you know, the previous Gundam on television thing, which was um, Iron-Blooded Orphans, which was uh, not so good, not so good overall. So it's it's been good. I'm enjoying it a lot. And it is good to hear. Now, Lau, you're also our first guest from Australia. Does Australia or Australians have a special relationship with any mecha shows? Of course, Australia has a special relationship in with, with Gundam lore. But like in America, Gundam Wing was really popular. Is there like a uniquely popular mecha show or Gundam show in Australia? Look, it, my experience with um, anime fandom around Australia, which is not I'm, I'm not super deep in in the community. Um, giant robot stuff is not that popular here the the closest thing you get is evangelion of course evangelion is popular everywhere um but gundam in particular i don't think has ever really taken off because um you know wing was popular because it was on toonami but to toonami here is was hard to get i didn't know anybody who had it uh so no but it's funny because as you say you know sydney was the the side of uh, the colony drop in in first Gundam and, and so on, and um, Australia keeps popping back up in in UC Gundam in particular. So you know it's great to see us there, but nobody here really watches it. Yeah, so 
Yeah, I feel like uh, the Dreamcast game, the Dreamcast Gundam game, taught me mo- the names of more real Australian places than anything else I've ever encountered. <laughs> oh yeah, I was just about to mention that PMC. Yeah, I was like, I would not know about ago. Alice Springs if it were not for oh, Rise from the Ashes. <laughs> yeah, Rise from the Ashes is pretty accurate, and um, the, ma- the map that um, Hathaway looks at in the um, first Hathaway's Flash movie is pretty accurate um i didn't i didn't like stop to check it too closely but i was like oh yeah those look like real places i'm pretty sure that's accurate to to the real australia so um yeah it, it's funny it, that we're so prominent in gundam the point you know um famously it's summer in australia is like a as a joke from gundam double oh yeah you um, but like people in Australia, I don't think really even really know about it. We're probably one of the the least giant robot aligned uh, countries when it comes to when it comes to anime. And I also have to mention it just because I know it's on a lot of people's minds with the upcoming uh, discotech release. But also as like an offhand comment in Gunbuster, I think Australia is also simply destroyed. Like like they oh, mentioned yeah. it during an episode. <laughs> Yeah, at the end of um, at the end of episode five, mm-hmm. they, they um, I don't know whether I should necessarily spoil it. I mean, it's from the eighties. A- anyway, yes, the, the continent of Australia is shattered. Yeah, it's not important um, to the plot. It, no, I, I don't think it is. But you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll stop they, they, there. Yeah, they, they are rebuilding it, but it is shattered. Yeah. But um, <laughs> actually thinking about it, in terms of actually thinking about giant robots here, if I were to say there was anything that was special is that i'm pretty sure that australia is the only english-speaking territory to get a dvd release of um super dimension fortress macross like while everything was tied up with the um you know harmony gold and so on for whatever reason there was a a dvd box set release of the original macross here in australia and i think we're like the only english-speaking territory to get one so there's that was there an australian dub no, no. So when Robotech aired here, it was just it was just Robotech. But um, yeah, this release was just um, just subtitles. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Kind of interesting. I don't really know how that happened. Now you mentioned that you did not have Toonami growing up. The reason why I asked this because we mentioned Tom Asmore earlier, and on that episode, I think the first Gundam episode that we recorded, I mentioned the Gundam Wing Australia promo, the Lincoln Park. Uh, uh, there was a link allegedly. We couldn't verify this on stream, but. Toonami Australia put together a promo for Gundam Wing using Crawling, the Linkin Park song. I, yeah. it, it feels real. It, it feels like t- too on the nose to be a meme. But anyway, I would love to get this it, verified by an Australian Gundam I, fan. I, so here's, that's from, the, that's from like the, the late 90s. So that's going back a ways. I'm an old man. Um, I remember it being real. Okay, uh, and I, I've never I've never done any any work to um, work it out, but um, I remember seeing it on pay TV one time. So I'm 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 pretty That's sure all I it's need. real. Yeah. Rubber stamp it. <laughs> confirm, <laughs> confirm. I'm, I'm glad it's it's so perfect. It's it's such it, a time capsule. It really is. It really is. All right. All right, gentlemen, it's time to jump into the episode proper. Of course, we are covering Witch from Mercury, episode six. Um, next week will be a clip show episode, which we'll talk about, I guess, at the end of the episode. But this is like the last uh, narrative episode for two weeks, so we we be feasting. I think we all have we we'll all have a lot of interesting takes on this episode. Uh, PMC, you have a 
question about the title though. Yeah, so this happens to me. This happened to me with this episode. Also happened to me with uh, Unseen Trap, which I think was episode four. Where upon my second viewing of the episode, I'm slapped in the face by realizing what the title of the episode refers to. And here, like I'm now, like okay, a lot, a lot of people have been memeing and tweeting about the status of Happy Birthday in their lives in Gundam what like what is happening to this song what does it mean in the show and i but i really haven't seen anyone remark upon the status of like specifically i think happy birthday is now a gloomy song as you know as as a or crowned by the um the the title of the episode so i just i just wanted to announce that to y'all i don't know if you have a take on that it is actually quite interesting that it's essentially become like a song heralding death. Mm-hmm. Like, um, Nadam Samaya dies while singing it alongside his daughter, and, and now, of course, it happens to Alan. Spoilers for the rest of this episode of the podcast. Um, yeah, it's actually it's quite funny that, and in a way, I'm not surprised. Like this is the kind of thing that um, that Kochi as a writer would would do. Oh yeah. Um, is like this kind of association between like you know a nice happy song and and actually it's bad so um it, it's it's funny it is um it's heartbreaking you know especially given like the how it, we got here in terms of like Suleta trying to connect with Alan and um you know trying to like bring him out of his shell effectively uh, and it ended so badly and so it's effective but it is funny mm-hmm. yeah I don't historically in my life i haven't really had strong attachments to the happy birthday song so i have i have a a daughter who's very young so imagine my feelings about the happy birthday song will change probably for the better maybe not now after i watched <laughs> six of which for mercury as i tweeted out um yeah i because I, I remember you um posting on twitter that it was your, your daughter's birthday in only a few months um and funnily enough a, a friend of mine a mutual on twitter it's her birthday today, so it's sort of like an interesting bit of timing for her. She's watching G Witch, and uh, sort of, yeah, interesting. I felt a little awkward wishing her a happy birthday. <laughs> As an adult, I never like when people sing to me. That's why I'm more indifferent slash annoyed to the happy birthday song if the song is directed at me. I, I would be irate if I'm at a restaurant and someone pulls the stunt where, without me knowing, <laughs> they tell the the staff it's it's Steven's birthday. I'd be pissed. I feel you on that. I don't actually celebrate my birthday typically, um, which is lucky now. Uh, I've, I've sort of, I haven't really held a birthday party for the past oh, 15, 16 years or something like that. So great for me, but I, I totally get you. I'm not huge on having people sing the song for me or having a party and, and so on. But uh, particularly now, particularly now. Yeah, but we'll see going forward for me with my daughter. Though, again, this this show has kind of changed the way um, I might even interact with my young child just because of uh, how much adolescence uh, is a focus um, in a lot of wrong ways in this show. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, look, there are some really bad parents in this show. <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we have yet just I feel like I feel like we've yet to discover how bad these parents are going to be. And I'm, I'm like both like thrilled and terrified. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a. Um, I'm really looking forward to going forward. I imagine that Shattuck will get some um, will get some more focus, and I'm actually really interested to see what his relationship with uh, Sarius, his uh, adopted father and uh, CEO of Grassy Defense Systems. I'm really interested to see what their relationship is like because it seems okay so far, just so far. 
He's got that nose thing, right? Yeah. Is that a ring or like an apparatus? Like, oh, sorry. I, I just assumed it was one of those like those dune suits, you know, that they have to get like the the water. That's what I thought. I don't know. It, it does actually remind of a the still suit. Yeah, the still suit. No, yeah, it's um yeah. I'm pretty sure it's to to help him breathe. I um and I guess we'll get into this, but uh, he's aged very badly, uh, and I think that's part of part of that. Yeah, that's an excellent point. All right, so title card. I guess the title card comes a little later, but if you or you're watching online, you probably know it's a gloomy song. A gloomy song opens on a conversation between Lady Prospera and Belle, Alan's handler who currently works for Pale Technologies, but who previously was employed by Vanitas. The two go way back. Belle questions Prospera's decision to have her daughter pilot a Gundam. She alludes to an incident that took place 21 years in the past, before Prospera cuts her off and walks off, she's confident that her darling daughter will win. By the way, when she says darling daughter, alarm bells firing off on all cylinder is very chilling, just based even on the wording in the subtitles. Well, who's, who's she referring to, Stephen? Who the fuck knows at this point? <laughs> Clones this one whole, through five. One through uh, five, you know, maybe. This whole this scene is essentially like um, getting one of those really big wrenches uh, and just like tomahawking it directly into some into some gears like everything that i thought was true is now completely up in the air as a result of just this one exchange yeah this what was probably possibly meant as a more incidental piece of dialogue has become like this big question online because i don't know how official the official timeline is but if you look at the official timeline Cathedra wiped out Vanitas 13 years before the start of the show. I don't know whether to believe that or not. Was that from believe- the was that from the Gundam Info site or was that from somewhere else? I it was sourced from a few like I think it was all sourced from the same thing. I don't know what that thing okay. is. Maybe I'm not sure if it's mentioned in like the prequel novel with quotes around novel. Who knows? I think it was it, it, I don't think it's, it's fans not. guessing. I think Sunrise yeah. released this in some capacity. So um Thomas Novel had a, a, a- Twitter thread about this, and I actually made the same assumption that it was that um, the prologue took place 13 years before the start of the show because, um, you know, Saletta is now 17, back then she was four, so you make that mathematical assumption. But um, there isn't actually any official information about when the prologue took place. There are no dates, um, no one has actually said how long it's been since then, um, no one's birth date has been made clear, so we, we can. We know how old many of the characters are, but we don't really know, like whether they were actually alive during those events. So, um, yeah, it's actually the thirteen years thing is, as far as I can tell, just an assumption that many people made, but it may not be true. But it, we don't know. We don't know, and this is what makes this scene so interesting. Yeah, and this is all like <laughs> grist for the mill. If you are in camp, Suleta is a clone, which. I was kind of convinced of, or moving in that direction last episode. When Coop mentioned it like four episodes ago, I was like, no, I, I don't believe it just yet. But now I'm like, yeah, Saleta's a clone. See, I feel like I'm not even worried that like Saleta is necessarily a clone. Like to me, the real question is, um, you know, how many children were uh, consumed to make the Ariel, you know, or I mean, the more likely answer is that whatever catastrophic event happens at the end of prologue where you know, Eric goes to, you know, Super Saiyan 34 or whatever, like left her, you know, tied into the aerial in the same way that, you know, the, like uh, the same way that, uh, uh, Mikazuki August ends up tied to his mobile suit in IBO, right? Like it just creates some kind of connection. 
And so like that's kind of that's my realistic assumption when I'm not making jokes about orphans and Gundams. I'm assuming that, you know, Ari just ended up somehow tied into this machine and that Suleta, you know, maybe maybe a clone, maybe just another daughter, uh, you know, we, it, I feel like this episode because of how we get information about uh the character I'm going to refer to as Alan uh, because of how we get information about Alan, we don't like it just kind of seems like there's a lot of children out there that people are just sort of like picking up. You know, Shadik was adopted. This Alan was just kind of molded. Who knows where Saleta came from? Yeah, this um, I've heard it. So this being theories about um, Saleta not being the same person as Eric since like very early on. I think that um, the first time i ever saw somebody mention that was practically after the first episode just as a guess essentially um and i don't know whether i necessarily believe it i i don't know that everything lines up for me to be sure it's true particularly the way that in cradle star which is the sort of integral short story which is on the or the website um the way the aerial refers to the events kind of suggests that um it hasn't been that long but who knows uh, at this stage. So I'm sort of, I'm going to play the waiting game a little, Oh yeah. but um, yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. And um, one, one thing I, I saw suggested was that it may be that Suleta is actually um, Eric's body. Like if you, you notice, like it may just like Suleta is taller than most of the other, most of the other girls in the, in the story. And I've heard someone suggest, well, maybe she's actually, 21 physically but the personality which is inside her is is, is younger mm-hmm. um which seems which seems reasonably plausible but um yeah i mean there are a lot of directions that the the, the story can go now um and i don't know i, I really don't know it's yeah uh, I, if i had to put my money on i think the timeline is accurate that i don't know i'm based purely on instinct just because when the show started there's a whole bunch of information online that was true. I don't know where he's being pulled from. Like Lauda, for example, being Ghoul's half brother. I'm not sure if that was mentioned on the show or I'm not sure if that was mentioned on the website or not, or supplemental material that I didn't have access to as an English speaking fan. Delling aged dramatically from the prologue, so that I guess could be evidence that 21 years did pass. He did not mention if he had a four year old daughter or a three year old daughter. I don't know what Miriam's age is in the uh, prologue. 16. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah so in the, in the like three. Yeah. I don't know, like how old she was in the prologue, or even if she existed in the prologue. But I guess that would be proof positive that thirteen years did pass. Yeah, it's sort of it's interesting because when the first, well, actually, when the the first sort of PV came out, and um, you know, Delling looked a lot older, um, and and Sarius himself looks like he's on, on death's door. Um, I was like, that's <laughs> that's odd for only thirteen years. These guys aged really badly, um, and you know, in my head, I'm thinking, is that because? they're living in space and there's that whole thing about how space is a bad environment for people to live in and so on. But then you see Vim, Vim Jaturk, and he looks great. You know, yeah. um, he's obviously older compared to in the prologue, but was he so much younger than Delling that after all this time, you know, Delling looks like he's practically like 70 years old. I don't know. It's um, yeah. It is so much information here, which is sort of left a little unsaid that you can, you can go in a lot of different directions, which is why I'm so unclear on on this point so far. It's certainly interesting. Hakuchi loves shit like this, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
minutes. I'll mention this later. I'm worried what happens when he answers all the questions by the end, like all the immediate questions by the end of core one. And he has to really start like, I don't even know, grabbing because he I feel like if he can't and he in his writing, he always prioritizes like the mystery box and stringing viewers along through Enigma. And once Mm -hmm. those mysteries are solved, that's when the storylines often become very unhinged in his shows, and I'm worried about what Core 2, what Core 3, and what Core 4 potentially could look like. Basically, I'm, I'm worried for a Witch from Mercury R2. Yeah, I, I, I totally get you on that. It's Code Geass as a, as a series is a great example of, you know, essentially every, I wouldn't say every mystery was solved at the end of the, the sort of first season of Code Geass, but you had a much better picture of what was really going on uh, and R2 is just left to go to all kinds of strange places uh, and I really hope that doesn't happen here but Sunrise is quite a they often have like they're, they're peering over your shoulder a lot of the time so I, I can't imagine well actually maybe I can't imagine um, them being left completely to their own devices to go off in any, any strange direction but I guess time will tell yep the, our famous words at the end of every podcast time will tell <laughs> I, I think particularly, like, the show has reportedly had some production issues behind the scenes. And, um, so we don't really know like, how far ahead they're writing or how much it's been planned out. So um, that's one thing I think I'm a little worried about. Always in the back of my head. Yeah, I'm worried, but also curious from a historian, pers- like a, his- a story, I guess an amateur historian's perspective, just because I did not write up a history episode on Witch for Mercury because there wasn't enough info yet. And I'm looking forward to maybe a year from now, year and a half, when we have more production material going back and seeing just how not on track the production was. Yeah, that would be quite interesting to look into. Back in the House Earth dorms, the girls, Duletta, Mirin, Choo Choo, Nika, Leek, and Aaliyah, discuss Suleta's upcoming upcoming duel with Alan while playing their divination game. Mirin chides Suleta for not consulting her before agreeing to Alan's terms. I won't forgive you if you lose, she declares, before leaving. Mirin criticizing Suleta has big, been married for years energy for me. I feel like there's already a lived-in quality to their relationship, even though they've only known each other for what? A few weeks, maybe? Maybe even less. I feel like not too much time has passed since episode one of Witch for Mercury. To prove my point, imagine this hypothetical. Let's, let's say Miri and Suleta have grown old together as a married couple. They're in their mid-50s. I can imagine like Miri walking in on Suleta one day. Suleta is like chugging sodas, chugging the Ad Stella equivalent of Mountain Dew. After her <laughs> doctor told her to cut sugar out of her diet. And I see like Miri, like her hands on her hips, irate and then proceeds to blast Suleta for it. And, you know, it, it could be interpreted, if you don't know them, as cold, but it comes from a place of love. Um, I've been married for a few years. There's a similar dynamic, I think, there, like with my wife and uh, myself. I feel like that's what I'm feeling here. Uh, I, like a place of love um, and a, a place of like this lived-in quality, even though they've only known each other for so long. Yeah, I, I, I totally get where you're coming from. Um, Miriam is, is quite a, a funny character in that regard because she's quite... She's quite sharp with pretty much everyone she deals with, um, but you do you do see her clearly caring about this, you know, dumb hick from from Mercury, uh, and that's reflected in how she treats her in in these episodes. Even though she's a little defocused, um, but you know, she steals every scene that she's in. And of course, 
you know, you go by the the opening, you go by the ending, you go by all the pre-release marketing, and of course, the relationship between Silita and Mirin is the is the core of this series, and they have a lot of fun with it here. I think. I hope we get more. I know we've been getting a lot of it, but I hope we get more of these interpersonal relationships because I'm getting a little fatigued with the subsequent, like uh, the duels in succession. I kind of want an episode to either back away from the duels and maybe focus on another element of mobile suits um, outside of just arena fights or, um, and I'm always asking this for my mecha shows, despite the fact that I'm a mecha podcaster, maybe not have a mecha fight in an episode to focus more on interpersonal relationships. I'm not going to be the guy that says, I want to focus on the characters and not the mech. I'm not going to be that person. But I am going to say it would be nice to just have the equivalent of like a bottle episode in this world. But again, I say that at every show we cover, and I'll probably say that at every show we cover in the future too. Uh, I do get where you're coming from, though. It's um, G. Diketsu actually did that. It, had, it would go like an episode or even – I think it almost went like three full episodes without like a, a giant robot battle, which was pretty unique at the time. So yeah. I, I wouldn't be adverse to seeing that. I mean, to the credit of G-Witch, uh, episode two did not have – any sort of robot battle, as I recall, Although there was the very there was the teaser at the end with the Delanza. But I think besides that, really, what I want is more uh, cor- corporate room bickering. I'm really still I want more of the of Prosper saying, "Well, it's not really a Gundam." You know, we need to get House <laughs> Pale up here to argue why their thing isn't a Gundam. I would really love to see them take a swing at it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's certainly like it's really quite entertaining how pretty much um, everyone knows that yeah. Prospera is lying, but no one is allowed to actually just say <laughs> it. I was ex- explaining this to my housemate who like walked into the, um, walked into episode six and he-, he says, so like, does everybody know that this is like illegal technology? And it's like, yes, everyone knows this is illegal technology. Uh, and it does give a certain, it's a sort of funny character to all the sort of false faces uh, in the, in the show. Yeah, and that speaks to the systemic failures of the system that they've created. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, Delling set himself up as the as the king that will burn all the witches, but they're they were in his they're in his inner circle. Um, Pale Technologies is uh, essentially. Well, I mean, it's unclear whether it's completely behind his back or not. Um, but they're there. They're building Gundams. They're using Gund as the technology. Um, you know and. Is it pure hypocrisy? I that's how I was sort of leaning towards it. You know, when they first showed a picture of the the Gundam character, I was like, well, you know, it, it makes sense, doesn't it? It's a rule for me, but not for thee, kind of situation. I was just about to say the law protects me and binds you. You know, just the the same exact sentiment. Yeah, absolutely. It's that it's saying about um, you know, the the law and its um, magnanimity you know, prevents both the rich and poor from living under bridges. Like, you get that sort of sense here. (laughs) Meanwhile, in a public display of humiliation, Ghoul is evicted from House Jaturk. This decision was made by his father, Vim, the CEO of Jaturk Heavy Industries, on the grounds that his son disobeyed orders and brought shame upon his family. A subordinate relays this message to Ghoul on behalf of his father. Quote, Consider it an act of mercy that I'm at least paying the rest of your tuition, end quote. While picking his backpack off the floor and turning to leave, Ghoul tells his brother Lauda to look after House Chaturk. All right, so I'm reading Hamlet with my students, so I've got like Shakespeare on the mind, which I guess is appropriate considering how enthused or how much of a fan Okuchi clearly is of Shakespeare, or if he's not, <laughs> he, he alludes to Shakespeare an awful lot. 
But I guess that's very easy cultural currency, so who knows. But it says a lot that Vim doesn't do this in person. Like, we know he's a shit father, but he's a real shit CEO, too. And he's also a bit of a coward. Like, Vim should not delegate decisions like this to subordinates. Like, I know it signals to the audience in a very easy and clear way he's a bad dad. But he should do it himself so he can make sure there are no loose ends. Like, for example, in Hamlet, Claudius handled his nephew Hamlet himself rather than passing off responsibility to others like the King of England, Rosencrantz, and Guildenstern. Like, that play would have ended by Act 3. Hamlet would have been dead. Claudius would have remained king. Um, I feel like Vim's fate is sealed here. Ghoul is going to overthrow him, kill him. Something bad is going to happen to Vim. Something bad is going to happen to all the CEOs, but Vim <laughs> is really setting himself up for failure here. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm right there with you. I'm really surprised because, you know, everyone, all these corporate folks are terrible from a moral perspective, you know, their qualities as parents. Like, we're clearly on the, you know, I think on the same page there. The thing I was trying to make sense of was why why you would give uh, Ghoul this space, this latitude to to go out there and sort of live by his ideals because, you know, there's a chance that could come, as, as Stephen already uh, alluded to, that that could really backfire on you in some way. And so I was trying to figure out how this makes sense from a like power or control perspective. And the, and the answer, I, I guess, would have to be that uh, that Ghoul is such a substantial liability to his plans that you know it's interfering with the things that he wants to do. But I don't really know, like, what I mean, what do we know about Vim's planes? Vim's planes, uh, he got blackmailed by Prospera, and he tried to assassinate Delling. And you know, we haven't seen him really follow up those those plans with anything else. So I do wonder what his what his uh how, like how how does Ghoul hurt things? How does it allow to help things? Uh, is like what I want to know. Um, because otherwise, yeah, otherwise this just feels like Vim is very bad at being a CEO, which could also be true. There is, as we've already talked about at the beginning of this podcast, some bad CEOs out there. <laughs> it's certainly um it, when you when you look at the whole jewel and holder system the 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 approach is you'll get control of the Bennerit group by having your representative become the holder marry Mirene, and then inherit the Bennerit group for when delling dies um and so from Vim's perspective guel who is i mean i think it's fair to say he actually is a good pilot he hasn't had the opportunity to really um show it he's mostly lost uh on screen but um you know, he's strong. So, like, if you've got a strong guy who's able to, like, reach the top of the Academy uh, and win Mirina as a prize, then you get the Benerit group, which controls the whole solar system. But he's got another son from a from another, from another woman in, in the form of Lauda. So I guess he can continue that approach through Lauda, but I don't, you know, is he at the same level in terms of skill? That remains to be seen. But, um... Yeah, I, I get what you mean, PMC, in terms of he's cut him loose. He's camping. He's, he's doing his Euro camp thing. Um, from a narrative perspective, his natural trajectory is to sort of slowly get redeemed and then adopted by uh, Earth House. Yeah. And, uh, you know, <laughs> that's, a, that's a huge loss for uh, Chaturk Heavy Industries. Yeah. Real strengthening of uh, 
the people that they dislike the most. Yeah, I mean, think of remember remember uh, you know, the, one of the things that's really fun about Mercury is that so often it is showing us text on screen that we can read, and I love doing that. I always love reading the text on screen. One of the things we know Absolutely. about Ghoul is that he was twenty six zero and zero by his record in duels before fighting Suleta. So that means what oh, he's yeah. twenty six and like uh, three losses now. That's still a pretty good record. You would get into the playoffs with that, I assume. Yeah, it's very good. And um, by, I mean, we don't know who he's fought or whether or not he's fought any of the other uh, members of the dueling committee. But it's like it's possible that um, you know, he might have, he might be better than Shattuck in terms of like pure technical skill. The same thing with um, with Alan. Like Alan wins that fight because he has a gun. Like it's not necessarily. And the show is pretty clear that that doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the result. But, um, you know, he gives a good showing against a very powerful machine using a, a customized, but not necessarily, like, enormously more so, you know, grunt mech, essentially. So it's, um, yeah, he's a very skilled pilot, and he may end up on Siletta's side just by virtue of the fact that now he's he doesn't have anything else left. House Earth does some strategizing before the duel. They acknowledge that Pale's proprietary mobile suits are quick, much quicker than the aerial. They conclude that they should install a thruster unit on Suleta's Gundam, but don't have the equipment or the connections to acquire one. Instead, they decide to build it themselves, even though, given their finances, it will put them in a huge deficit. If Suleta loses, they may have to declare bankruptcy... I'm uh, channeling Michael Scott from The Office there when he declares bankruptcy, for those of you who... uh, who know, know what I'm talking about? His office as popular in the United States as it is in Australia, or is it as popular in Australia as it is in the United States? Lau? What was that, sir? I didn't the, quite catch the, the question. The, there's an American sitcom and a British sitcom called The Office. Is that? Do you know what I'm talking about? If I reference, yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. The Office is pretty popular here. Gotcha. I know there was like um, national variations, like a Russian version of The Office, a German version. I'm not sure if there was an like exclusive Australia version. No, we just we got the um, the UK version originally, and people have seen the the US version. I actually don't know where it airs or where it aired, but somewhere it's quite popular here, though. Maybe they also had they cut a promo for the Office using Lincoln Park's crawling <laughs> back in. I think the dates. Well, no, Office wasn't around two thousand two, but a few years later. A few years later. I gotta say, I always love scenes like this. You got a ragtag group of underdogs. They pull together to solve a problem. Like this is what Mecha is built on. Like, th- and this is also a very w- real white base moment. I'm, I have now started thinking of House Earth as the white base in a very loose sense, a more metaphorical sense. And like, there's a financial motivation here. Like Earth House, they're not just doing this out of the kindness of their hearts, though that plays a factor. They have a lot to gain or lose. It does seem like there's less of a hierarchy within House Earth than either House Chaturk or Pale. You correctly point out in the notes, Lau, like there is some sort of corporate backing to Earth House. That's why they're in Ostacasia. But it seems a little less top-down than the other houses, or at least based on what we've seen. You know, we don't have Vim Jaturk. We don't have um, a Delling figure with the uh, like we do with the other houses. So not, not no. to say that. Yeah, go on. Yeah, it's um just by some of the um the dialogue that we've had, like everyone in Astakazia has to have been sponsored by a corporation. Um and so the the Earthian students have to be the same. But you know, they're from Earth and you know, Earth is broke, the corporations are commensurately much smaller, they're under the thumb of the Benerit group and so on. So um someone must be sponsoring them, but 
probably don't have that much cash to spare and don't have that much capacity to just bring them up and be like, do what I say. Um, so, uh, the stakes are a lot different, I think, for uh, the Earthian characters. One thing I wanted to bring up here, and I feel like this is the right point to do it, even though the scene is a little bit later. Is this, this is referring to the scene where they're uh, they're testing the boosters. Uh, everyone's you know everyone's very uh, complimentary towards Nika for her work in putting mm-hmm. together this booster unit, and she seems really uncomfortable with those compliments. And I couldn't tell if that was uh, like I, I think I saw like some responses on Twitter that indicated that like you know this is should be indicative of certain personality traits. To me, I feel like the simpler answer is that uh, that Nika is somehow getting outside help to to put this together. Like, I definitely so to me, you know, an engineer is always like an engineer like that is going to be bad at lying, and so the sort of <laughs> visible discomfort is going to be indicative that they're lying. Oh yeah, it'll, it'll work. You know, like like no, she knows it'll work because it's probably. You know, it's probably the secret unit that Shinsei Corporation sent, or, or you know, so I don't know what who who would be doing it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it definitely feels to me like Nika is hiding something. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. Um, for what it's worth, um, so so Nika is effectively the leader of of Earth House, but on paper, it's actually um, a different character. Uh, Martin, he's the uh, tall dude with the oh yeah the bowl cut. Yeah, How are so, we going to so eat Martin next is- month? Yeah, Martin is is the leader, is the house leader in the same way that um, Gwil was the leader of Jeturk House or um, Shattuck is the leader of um, Grassy House. Um, but in practice, it's Nika is the power behind the throne. So she seems like the kind of person who um, just sort of tries to keep out of the public eye as much as possible. And um, she helps people out. Like, think back to the first episode. Um, she lent Suleta her scooter to get into the jewel didn't really take credit for it so i, I kind of um she seems like that kind of mm-hmm. kind of person yeah the but, kids are all right in my book they they certainly are shout outs to my good friend yosuyuki tomino loud <laughs> do you have a favorite like earthian at this point like do you have one like yeah there's there's my boy there's my girl um look i'm, I'm like a lot of people um like chuchu is just a, a, a huge amount of fun like mm. what a great character um but actually i really like um so uh nuno and uh ogello like the, the the two guys who are always gambling i find that like a really quite funny trait <laughs> yeah. for them to have because they always lose i think that's just um i actually i recently rewatched cowboy bebop for the first time in a long time and like people who are broke and keep on taking risks to try and make money and then don't like that's just a really that's a really endearing character trait so um those two i think are um like a lot of fun just to sort of have in the background oh totally oh those are the best moments of bebop just scrounging around for like pennies under the couch those moments are fantastic it's um it's funny because um you know by inference they do succeed when they're not on camera but when they're on camera uh and uh so you know, I, I was happy for for Nino, um, you know, and Ojello because they made money this episode. They actually they bet the right way for a change. Ojello might be my favorite. I think just I like the energy he brings on screen. Chuchu's up there, yeah. of course, and Nika has Nika is just very kind hearted, and I find that very nice. Yeah, in in general, it's like a it's a really great cast, and um, a G which really um, like shows off a, a strength of Gundam as a as a franchise in that 
Okay, these shows always have really big casts, but surprisingly well characterized um, and enjoyable to see on screen, even if they don't get a lot of focus. So, um, gee, which is a great entry in that regard. Yeah, I could easily recommend this to someone who's not that into anime and not have too many disclaimers. That could change, though, when we're like shooting out clones every three episodes and who knows what happens <laughs> to them. Absolutely. Speaking of clones, potentially, Alan wakes up after having been monitored in his sleep by Belle. She thinks he'll have no problem in the duel, which means that he won't survive the battle after that, according to Alan's interpretation of her comment. Suddenly, an Alan doppelganger, cocksure and Les Sullen, walks into the room. Belle calls him Master Alan, suggesting that he's the original, while the Alan we know is a surrogate. Put quotes around original and surrogate. We don't only have so much information about that. Uh, we only have so much information about that relationship and dynamic. Master Alan tries to cheer up his doppelganger, telling him that if he gets the bride, he'll get his face back. Or Alan Copy claims to have entered into this agreement because he was already cursed. All right, so of course I have a lot of questions here. I'm going to throw this to both of you to start out. What's your interpretation of this relationship? Is this like a face-off thing? Like, what does he mean by get his face back? How do you interpret this? The science behind this? So, um, I Ilan actually says something about this uh, in episode five, and that he thinks that Suleta might be somebody with somebody else's face. Um, so I assume that it's closer to something like plastic surgery, like very advanced. Um, plastic surgery to alter his physical appearance to resemble the actual Alan Carius, who has um, some position within pale technology. It's hard to hard to say. It seems unlikely that he'd just be like the son of one of the um, the CEOs. But um, yeah, based on what we see later, I just assume that he's some some kid uh, who got picked up, and then in addition to being physically enhanced cyber new type style has also been um, physically altered so that he resembles uh, somebody associated with pale technologies so that they can presumably if um, Elan were to become the holder, then just pass that off to the real Elan who may not be particularly skilled behind the sticks of a mobile suit. But yeah, so that's just sort of my take. I don't think he's like a clone or anything like that, but just uh, um, somebody who's had his face altered. Yeah, I think I'm pretty much there too, and I I think the I I agree with the cosmetic surgery. I think he's just you know a a, so, a body that was picked up and made to take on the risk of being a Gundam pilot while passing on the reward to you know to the real Alan. Now I I should say that doesn't mean that the real Alan isn't maybe also modified in some way. House Pale, uh, especially given their physical appearance, the appearance of the co-chairs, I think they are quite inclined and ready to mess with human bodies i think that maybe like a a characteristic of the house that they're willing to instead of instead of changing the gundam they're going to change the pilot that that is me an approach that is a characteristic to them and so i i do think it does yeah. oh, sorry, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. um um I, I do think that um you know based on the fact that they build the gundam Act, it seems most likely and given that they they took bill maria who was a, a member of the vanitas institute they've essentially taken on Dr. Cardo Nabo's um, research into Gund, which is, of course, a, a physical enhancement technology. You know, it's predominantly a kind of um, cybernetics. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with you there that the kinds of people 
who would be willing to do that. So, um, you know, we may see something right like that with the the real Elan. We may Elan we may Musk learn things or, about about him yet that are that fit in with that. Absolutely. Yeah, I did. One thing I did think was um, interesting is, of course, uh, Aralan wears earrings, which sort of like those mm. feathery earrings, which the uh, the real one doesn't have. It's simultaneously, it's um, you know, it's an ex- self expression that um, the only self expression that he has. But also, oh, apart from his cravat, obviously, he wears that he wears that funny cravat instead of the regular tie. But I couldn't help but notice that um, his earrings are quite similar to the. Um, the hair decorations that Aaliyah over at Earth House yeah. has. So, you know, maybe he's from a, same, a similar region of Earth originally um, before getting picked up by Pale Technologies. Just a little bit of... That's a good good there. connection, too. Because I'm also wondering, too, like, if, <laughs> if we got a bunch of scientists out here feeding kids into weapons manufacturing programs, like, where are they getting the kids from? Like honestly, uh, there's one. I had a thought. I was really worried when it comes to what we learned about the aerial in this episode that maybe the reason, uh, like, there aren't schools on Mercury is because there aren't kids. Where did all the kids go? Oh no! <laughs> oh, oh dear! I, I'm yeah, just saying. But... <laughs> it's not like the kids just like I don't know. They didn't escape Mercury. I mean, I hope not. Or I mean, not not in a way that in, involves harm to them. All right. Well, previously, my impression of that had just been that. Um... So Mercury is an economic dead end. Mm-hmm. They used to mine permit there, but now they can mine it on the moon. And why would you mine on Mercury? This is extremely dangerous compared to the moon. And so people have just filtered away. There's no new people coming in. Everyone is getting older. So um, it's still there to save someone's life in in the uh, in the short story, and they're described as old. And so I just got the impression of an aging population. Silet is the only young person there. But now, I don't know. Yeah. It's certainly yeah, to a little be clear, more worrisome. I do think that is most likely the right and true thing. But still, the thought occurred to me. Yeah, well, if this becomes like, like a Witch from Mercury R2, then that's what you'll get 30 <laughs> episodes down the line. Because once he's already revealed all these mysteries, he's going to have to one-up himself some way. Yeah, it's uh, potentially worrying. But um, yeah, I think it's one of the strengths of this episode is, of course, that um, it isn't as straightforward as it appears, and you are left thinking, like, "Whoa, what's what's going on here?" In a way that um, previously you know, there's some mystery going on, but this alludes to some things, which sort of gets you gets your mind racing, and it's sort of uh, it's very engaging. Yeah, but I agree with both your takes about the doppelganger. I've been using clone as easy shorthand, just to, um, I guess make my i don't even know just to refer to it very easily in a very mimetic way but i do agree that i think it's um facial reconstruction with some maybe some body augments thrown on top of that yeah i think that makes a lot of sense pmc if i say reiko hardeen this is a reiko hardeen moment do you know who i'm referring to yeah you're referring to the uh the the criminal whose face obi-wan adopts in that episode of the clone wars Yes, I don't know how Star Wars pilled you are or are not, Lau, but PMC and I, I've, I've dragged PMC into my Star Wars fandom, so occasionally I'll test him. <laughs> We're watching I Clone Wars at the same pace with another podcast. Oh, uh, nice. Um, I, you know, a big Star Wars guy when growing up, read a lot of X-Wing books and so on. Less so now. I've, ne- I've never watched The Clone Wars, um, but I have been watching Andor. Uh, sort of that's the first time i've tried one of these star wars tv shows and jesus good you pick the right one you the rest of them are garbage compared to this (laughs) 
Yeah, I, say. I, I have one question for you too. How many guards are on each level? Never more than twelve. <laughs> that is such a great exchange. It's like a really great like set up follow up moment. It's like as a I'm I'm a writer, you know, sometimes. And it's just that was just perfect and just great performances all around from everybody involved. So um yeah, I started a little cool on Andor. It's it's a bit slow in those first three episodes, but geez, every you know, every week I'm just like, Yes, I can't wait for a little bit more of that. So yeah, it's a fantastic show. Yeah, my wife's traveling uh, mm. this weekend. We usually watch it on Wednesday or Thursday, maybe Friday at the latest. But it's like our show. And, well, I, I drag my wife into it. But um, she's traveling over the weekend starting Wednesday. I guess the weekend weekend. So I'm like, do I watch it? Do I break our unofficial oath? Probably, just because I don't know if I could wait till like, Monday. <laughs> it's, it's, a long, it's a long time to wait. And you'll see it on, you'll see it on Twitter. Yeah, so yeah like, exactly. Oh, tell yeah. totally. Like, if I didn't it watch is- that last episode with the guard bit, I would just be going out of my mind. Exactly, and it's you know it's it's similar to G, which um, I'm actually lucky. This is one of the few um, shows that I'm sorry, I'm watching it on Crunchyroll. It's the um, where it's airing here in Australia, mm-hmm. and it comes out at like nine thirty p.m. here, so I can actually watch it when it airs, as opposed to oh. yeah, most stuff um, like it's uploaded while I'm asleep. So usually I wake up, and uh, so many of my my mates on on Twitter have like compiled huge threads of you know, frame by frame, um, like watch, you know, you know, play by plays of what's happened in, in a new episode. So it's like, but gee, which I'm on top of that first. I'm almost no one in the world except for people in Japan get on gee, which faster than I do. So, um, yeah, I, I, I feel your pain on wanting, on having to wait to watch Andor. For us, we're East coast States and it's it's usually on five it drops and i tell myself each sunday i wake up early but sometimes i just like i just i'm just chilling on the couch i can't really bring myself to watch it just yet because i want to get my notes done to potentially record a little earlier or share my notes with all of you earlier never happens i'm usually uh wrapping it up (laughs) around like nine or ten that night oh my god yeah it's um yeah it's tough and i mean that's the thing with like these these big popular shows and you see it with some of the other shows this season like chainsaw men and so on it's like you got to be on that as like quickly because otherwise if you're if you're online if you're on twitter you are going to get spoiled on something so uh it's a bit a bit unfortunate but you know it does it does speak to like the health of the show as something that people are watching yeah i want to get in that meme like machine too i want to fire off those memes before anyone else does uh yeah you gotta you gotta be quick there's (laughs) particularly there are so many people who are watching it who are on it fast and they've got like big following so like you've got to get in early you've got to have something in mind i'm i'm planning my my g which post for the for the day like part way through the episode and so on it, it's it, it's competitive it's a very competitive environment much like astakazia itself i know i don't want to sound like like you know the token capitalist here who's trying to get like uh consider memes easy currency and tr- wants to try to monopolize that for himself but yet here i am <laughs> no, well, um, you know, previously I've, I've never really, quote unquote, gone viral before. Um, but a couple of my G-Witch posts have attracted like, you know, four digits of, of likes, which I've never seen. I've never had that. So I was like, wow, people like this show. Yeah, with Witcher Mercury, it's so easy. Oh, yeah. Like, it's just, it's like I said, it's easy currency. Absolutely. You know, it just, um, it, you mentioned, it's in your notes earlier, um, but I don't think we, we touched on it, but... Guel, like, out in a tent is just a, a genuinely very, genuinely great image just in itself. 
you know, just, just sitting around with his with his tin cup of coffee, watching watching the jewel on his uh, on his iPad. I, it's just priceless. And the show is just full of moments like that. Alan, well, hold on. <laughs> I forgot I read that summary bit. This is what happens when you're having a good discussion. Um, my one note about this is like I haven't warmed to Alan like I have to Ghoul, but I definitely sympathize with his plight. I mean, I'm not heartless. He is being moved like a chess piece like all the kids by powerful and self-serving forces. I'm getting big Rolo vibes here as well. I've been saying that um, over the last few episodes. Who is a character I absolutely hated when he showed up in R2, but I begrudgingly came to really like him at the very end. Uh, Based on the last episode, the last five minutes with Rolo in that show, I was like, you know what? Maybe Rolo's all right. I I get what you mean. I never really liked him as a character, but he's sort of heroic you know, the way he goes out as a character is um, yeah, pretty compelling. And particularly in a, in a season which was full of just very dumb stuff, like that was like a genuinely affecting moment. And impressive to come from a character as bad as Rollo. <laughs> PMC alluded to this before. Um, and uh, I'm Star Wars pilled. I'm sorry. This is basically what the Force First Order does in Star Wars. If you really read into the supplemental material, because this isn't actually in the movies. Um, I guess not much. Uh, does pale technologies fill up their ranks by preying on marginalized people? Like, you know, the people, like the orphans living on the fringes of society? Because this would be a very on-the-nose and not inaccurate interpretation of how capitalism requires and exploits the most vulnerable in order to function properly. I'm not sure what they're going for here, but I, w- I would like to know a little more about what pale is up to. I definitely get the impression that um, as part of their presumably quite secret, quite secretive project around Gundams and Gund, um, they are probably using people they pick up. But when uh, Suleta goes to visit Pale House, uh, the kids there, they just seem normal and they don't know anything about the Farrakh. They don't know what it is, where it came from. It just showed up. So um, it seems like the majority of the company seems similar to the others, just normal people. Uh, and so most of the kids there are like probably normal kids with executive parents who have been sent to Astakazia because, of course, where else would you send them? But, um, yeah, there's definitely at least some element of that whole kidnapping and indoctrination into uh, interpel technologies. But to what degree, we don't know. Yeah, if it's not in the show proper, maybe we'll get a Gundam Ace side story about Alan before um, he got his face changed. Oh, yeah, that's certainly a possibility. I mean, so far, yeah, every, every new Gundam AU gets a, a big manga side story, so I guess we'll see what um, G-Witch produces in that regard. Yeah, the novelization, or a novel, is coming out soon. I'm curious how quickly English-speaking fans jump on that and mine that for content. Ah, oh, I didn't know that. That's actually good to hear. It's in the next few months, I believe. Okay, I'll keep an eye out. Nika and Suleta put the aerial through its paces the day before the big duel. Suleta reflects on her conflicting emotions regarding Alan. She now knows that he was only using her, but she appreciates his kindness. Miorin chides Suleta yet again for her naivete and passivity. Nika, though, sees right through Miorin's bluster and calls her out on it. She recognizes that the outwardly cold Miorin has forgiven Suleta. You know, this is kind of harkening back to my earlier comment, but Miorin, she's, she's very annoyed with Suleta whenever she's around her publicly, but you could tell deep down she cares for her bride. This is plain to see whenever she interacts with her privately, the only times when she's even remotely vulnerable and open. And I think this contrast is 
intentionally and pour in and speaks to the intimacy of their relationship. Oh yeah, absolutely. I have to agree with that. Uh, you know, Mirina is just a, you know, she's a very classical Cinderella type character, you know, she's cold and sharp on the outside, but warm on the inside. Um, and you know, who, who better to, uh, to bring that out than a anxious ball of nerves, like Soletta Mercury, right? I'll talk about this in just a minute, but I love Suleta so much. If Suleta wasn't in the show, I'm fond of the other characters, but the show would lack a lot of heart for me. Yeah, the the decision to cast uh, essentially like a person with deep seated anxiety issues, the kind of person who like can't take a phone call without crying, as the main character is just like a real perfectly perfect choice for this moment in time in terms of media. So, <laughs> um, you know, she's great, and she does give the show a lot of personality, just like. The way that she's always cowering behind someone who is physically smaller than her is just a really great character trait and very funny visual image at the same time. The show is very expert in that regard. Suleta, using the Ariel's new thruster unit, blasts off to locate and talk to Alan. With the help of some lower-ranking students of Pale House, she taps into the house's comm system for all to hear, and pleads with Alan, asking him why he wants to duel and what he wants with the Ariel. When she doesn't get a response, she starts singing the Happy Birthday song. Well, we'll talk, we've, we've referenced the Happy Birthday song earlier. We're going to, of course, talk about it again. I will say, though, outside all the sad stuff, Suleta does sing with a really bouncy cadence. It's very cute and endearing, like almost everything she does. But I'll yeah. be thinking about the later scene when I'm singing my daughter's happy birthday song in like four months. <laughs> it's um, that scene is actually, it is great. Like it is very touching in its own way. Like Suleta is just like a, a person who she's just fundamentally very nice. Um, and that's part of what um, attracts other people to her. But the other thing is the fact that she's like, she's not on like the phone to Elan. She's on like pale houses, um, public address system so she's just broadcasting to hundreds of people um trying to talk to elan and i think that's actually quite a like a, a funny thing in itself you know these these kids from um from pale house are like we don't really want to help you what's the <laughs> easiest thing that we can do and they just like plug her right into you know every speaker simultaneously and i think that's great yeah i it really helps me too and, and to once again bring up the text thing but when she's on the phone with the guys in the in the tower you, we discover that one of them has the name earlton wells which is just like yeah <laughs> all right earlton yeah put me on the pa yeah <laughs> some some great names in in this show um among the the side yeah. characters we're, we're gonna get a new tecmo baseball or whatever roster out of these <laughs> names i can tell Ups and dug that. Yeah, <laughs> that's a that's a great list of names. But yeah, you know, like um, Elton Wells, and you know, you see them elsewhere. Like um, Guel's, you know, two hangers on Felsi and Petra. Like Felsi Rollo, what a great name! That is just a rolls right off the tongue. I hope the names get a little bit more unhinged and tomino-esque as the show goes on they're weird of course of course like jaturk being like the classic gundam name but i want to get even weirder as the show progresses i totally feel you on that i feel like it's still a little buttoned up no probably probably the most i feel like the most gundam name is kado nabo because it rhymes a bit Mm. so i'm just i want a little bit more along those lines oh you know you know nabo is definitely coming back well, yeah, yeah. I wonder. I, I do wonder about that. You uh, mentioned that in a um, in a, a previous episode. 
it, it could be that she's, she's still co- alive. She's like, cooking up those orphans. She's cooking them up. <laughs> well, um, when you know, Dominicus, the Dominicus corpse raids Falkvanger, um, you don't actually see her get shot. You hear, you know, you see a confrontation with the special forces guys, um, and then it cuts to the interior of the um, Lefrith Gundam, and um, Elnora hears about Tato's death. But you know, I, I, I wonder whether or not she might have been taken alive, um, given you know what we see later in terms. Of, you know, Pale Technologies has guns. Like, surely. You know, if there's an element of deep-seated hypocrisy in the Benerick group, maybe they would have kept her alive just for their own their own ends. But that's something which we may learn later. Speaking of the Elifrith, uh, a mobile suit design, actually, uh, a Gundam design that I miss. Lau, since there are no new mechs in this episode, do you want to shout out your favorites? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I, I feel like my favorite is probably the um, the uh, Darabolde, or Darabold. I'm not really sure how I should just be saying that. Um, I love the, the sort of Zaku, like it, it's from the same design lineage of the Zaku. It's in that sort of class of mobile suit that we see in every, um, in every Gundam series, but it just has that like higher end feeling. Like it's not, it's not a cheap machine. The Delanze is like a, a relatively high end heavyweight mobile suit. And the Darabalde is just like a, just takes it to that extra level. And like, you know, the detachable arms are a great gimmick. So yeah, that's probably my favorite. But um some really great designs in in this show. Like there's almost none that I that I dislike. Not not quite as hot on um the grassy style suits, but otherwise like yeah, just um just great robots all around. Das, do you lean real robot or super or are you like them both equally? Look, um it, <laughs> the real robot super robot dichotomy is one of those things which I, I think is a little fake. It is a false always, dichotomy. Yeah, you know, I think a lot about like when you look at you look at you look at Grandpa, you look at the RX seventy eight, and it's you know it's eighteen meters tall and it weighs a certain amount and it's made out of you know um, a super metal uh, called lunar titanium. And that's basically the exact same thing as the Mazinger Z, like the original, which is eighteen meters tall. It's about a hundred tons. It's made out of. Um, uh, super alloy, um, super alloy Z, and, and so on. Like they're very similar. Like they come from the same DNA, and so I don't really see that distinction as being all that meaningful. You know, in, in some in some respects, there are some very grounded mobile suits which would, you know, probably make the original, like some of the original super robots, look a bit, bit old fashioned, old hat. You know, I think that that distinction is kind of a fake one. So that's my official position. No, I'm I'm, I'm happy you blasted the questions. I do agree with you. It's a false dichotomy. I use it as shorthand, kind of like I was using uh, the word clone to refer to Elan, just because I feel like if I'm talking to Mecca people, there's an unspoken language where we could easily convey complex thoughts by using terms like that. I, I, I do get what you mean. And like, look, the giant robot as super, uh, superhero thing is a lot of fun. I'm super excited to be able to actually purchase like Blu-rays of um, Genesic Galgaigar, like, uh, sorry, not Genesic Galgaigar, that's the name of the machine. Um, the King of Braves Galgaigar is mm. getting a, a release on Blu-ray thanks to Discotech. And it's like, that's that's great. Like, that's a fantastic show, a lot of fun. But yeah, look, I'm going to just, I'll watch almost any giant robot thing. Gundam, Macross, Get a Robot, I went through a huge Get a Robo phase. Like, it's all, it's all good. 
I just love a giant robot. Likewise. So this prompt this prompts a response from Alan. Remember, uh, Suleta is awkwardly talking to her over the loudspeaker in the, the house dormitory. This prompts a response from Alan, who tells her to go home. He doesn't have a birthday and doesn't want to be bothered. Suleta keeps pressing the issue to no avail. Cut to the next day. Suleta, unusually confident, is ready for the duel. She announces that she did decide what her stakes are in this duel before taking off. Lauda now the head of Jaturk House, watches the duel from the safety of the dueling committee's headquarters. Lau, you had a note about uh, one of my favorite off-screen characters here. Oh, yeah. um, Cecilia, everyone's favorite. She's a... um, That's a character who... She had, like, practically one line in the first episode, and there's definitely, like, a a portion of the audience which is like, that's it. That's the best character in this show. And she does it again here, like, Louder is very, he's very straight laced, and so she she gives like a whole like scare. She's like scary in response, and that's just like a, a very endearing kind of character, very sarcastic all the time. So um, yeah, that was a, a good little moment just on the side of the show. I shout out Cecilia real early on. I liked the energy she brought. It feels like she's in another show, uh, or she <laughs> exists in our world and just happens to be placed in a Gundam show. Yeah, it's like, she's great. She just sits around and does nothing, and, like, everybody loves her. And I, I guess that's how she likes it. There's a lot of I've, there's a lot of funny chatter on Twitter about if we just get a little bit more Cecilia, fan artists are going to go nuts. Like, uh, the horny gates are just going to open, and all manner of interesting fan art is going to hit the web. Just if we get a yeah, little bit more. It's actually, it's quite funny, like, um, among the, um, like, among the female character designs, Cecilia is really the only, like, sort of sexy design. Like, most of the fan service is actually focused on, on Shattuck and his inability to button up his shirt. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> oh, real quick, we have to mention the tie. Remember earlier on when Vim was getting, or when uh, Ghoul was getting kicked out of Jaturk House? Uh, I think someone pointed this out. It's probably Thaliarchus online, but just the weird tie design. Like, their ties, like, cut in half there's no tie bar uh it's been living rent free in my mind uh since this episode dropped yeah the, the uniforms are quite interesting um you know like the big sleeves and the, the sort of the tie which is also a zipper i think it's it's quite it's quite confusing exactly how it works sort of um and you know elan doesn't have it um shattuck doesn't have it camille who is the um the big dude working out with guel in the previous episode also doesn't wear the tie. I don't know how it's supposed to work. It's quite quite funny. Maybe the novelization will address that. <laughs> I would love. I would love it if there's a chapter on dress codes and like sumptuary regulations, which I mentioned earlier. It would be yeah. Let's get let's get some technical details on the Asakazi uniforms. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So they're in the dueling committee's headquarters. Shadik, acting as the observer, runs through the pre duel formalities. Suleta announces her stakes. She wants Mr. Alan to tell her all about himself. Uh, Suleta is too good for this world. Almost unlike anyone around her, who are all capitalism-pilled, or as Gromsky might say, indoctrinated by cultural hegemony, Suleta lifts people up. She does not tear them down. To her, at least to how I interpret her character, life isn't a game to be won through competition. She wants to do right by her friends, even if that means getting out of the race. And I think that's swell and such a healthy mentality to have. One that I don't even always live up to, but I'm I'm happy to see Suleta live up to it on her own. Yeah, she's just a she's just a precious cinnamon roll, isn't she? She's just delightful. 
you know, just to, to watch as a, as a viewer and also to the people around her. So uh, it's not really surprising that uh, it, like she draws people to her. Her charisma isn't like overpowering, but it's just like, it's, it's like a warmth that you can, you can get close to. Um, and many of them aren't used to it. I mean, look at, look at Guel who, uh, who got like one compliment uh, and proposed marriage, you know, it, it's that kind of, that kind of thing. She's great. I do want to. I do want to give her some credit. At the end of the previous episode of Radio for Mercury, I said that she would ask only for his birthday. That information as stakes, and to her credit, she does ask for a little bit more. She asks for information broadly. So you know, yeah, I'll I'll give it to her. That would be yes. a very Akuchi move with the symmetry in the writing, though. How many yeah, guards I, on the level? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's um, you know, it's essentially she's if she wins, she's going to force him to be her friend essentially. And I think that's sort of, um, it's a very Suleta thing to do. It's like, she can make him essentially, she can bet anything that she wants. Uh, and she's just like, I would like to be your friend. I would like you to be my friend. And that's, you know, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. At the moment. The battle begins. They draw their beam swords which, when they clash, flicker in the initial intensity of their clash. Alan calls Suleta out for her relative privilege before he blasts off and fires on her from afar. PMC, I have a note for you here because I thought you'd like it a lot if you scroll down, not to narrate my notes in real time, but uh, Waffles uh, Mono-Eye on Twitter, great follow, by the way, uh, points out the weird way the ferret gets its beam saber. Uh, do you have a comment about that? Because this seems like a very PMC point. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a lot of fun to have the uh, the beam saber stowed within the forearm and to have sort of like a joint just for retrieval of it, too, which is I expected that, that the thing would just like pop out or something like, a, you know, like a, like a minigun in the forearm or something like that. Uh, but that sort of extra joint was, it was a real treat. I also think too. I'm gonna here. I'm gonna mention as well the uh, the feet lasers, which I also think are. Mm. I feel like uh, one of the mechanical designs that they are really, um, or one of the areas of mechanical design that they're really experimenting with in this show is feet. They're really doing a lot with feet. Uh, that was true in prologue with the one the uh, the 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 Boba Gear, uh, which you know would have these talons that actually clasped uh, things, and uh, I feel like that's kind of happening here too. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. The, the mechanical design has a lot of fun little bits. You know, it's it's quite common for a mobile suit to have their um, beam saber in their forearm, but like this is like a really creative variation on that. Like, and the way it sort of disjoints reminds you not only like this is a machine, but um, a little bit of the sort of wrongness that goes into pale technologies behind the scenes. So I think it's like a it's a, a great little you know, it's a great gimmick. Um, just in itself, but it does, it, it works on a couple of different levels. But yeah, definitely, um, like the Darabalde is the same, right? Like um, Guel uses its feet to grab the aerial and, and swing it around on the end of a big cable. Um, it's sort of, it actually reminds me a little bit of the, the Hashmal from uh, Jitaketsu, the big mobile armor, which had like quite articulate feet and was using them as weapons. So um, yeah, I've really quite, it's quite cool to see. Speaking of neat things, this isn't a mechanical design. It's more like a, a small narrative consideration. But I, I was wondering before the end of the episode why this duel takes place outside in space, which deviates from the norms. Of course, the previous duels have all taken place within the space colony. 
I actually didn't expect this point to be addressed and was pleasantly surprised by the answer because Pale House wanted to take advantage of the vastness of space to play to the Ferric strengths. And I pointed this out when I talked about the mechanical design last episode. Because like Alonic, the Ferric is meant to um, basically keep its distance as it fires for, uh, on its opponents from a distance using its rifle. Uh, and I feel like these are the same underhanded tactics that a politician might adopt, you know, exploiting the physical layout of a debate stage to one-up their opponent in the most slimy way possible, which speaks to the slimy ways all these CEOs try to one-up each other. Um, we have a big election in America tomorrow, so this is on my mind, and like slimy debate tactics, especially locally in the Pennsylvania mm. region. PMC knows what I'm talking about. So uh, just to date myself very explicitly here, this is what I was thinking about when I was taking my notes. Yeah, no, I, I get where you're coming from. It's quite interesting because, like, of course, um, that revelation comes after Elan talks about, you know, the position he has versus Siletta. Like, Siletta has everything that he really desires, you know, friends and, and family. Um, and so while he is, you know, in principle, he's the heir to um, Pale Technologies, one of the biggest corporations in all of human history. Like, he isn't really. It's like he's the only person who can say that kind of thing in this show, um, even while uh, the company that that he works for is stacking the deck against his opponent. The battle continues. Suleta plays defense as she tries to deflect and dodge the Ferrex laser blast. We gotta talk about Ghoul. I know we mentioned it earlier, but I gotta make sure to give each of you an opportunity to express uh, your opinions on Ghoul somewhere in the woods sipping his coffee. Does anything more need to be said, uh, said gentlemen? Ah, it's, it's just fantastic. I was just going to say, it's really interesting that we have once again a Gundam show where people are just lost in the woods in a space colony. It kind of kind of takes you back <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, um, at the end of the episode, you can actually see his, uh, his tent in the background among the uh, uh, in the woods. So when uh, Saleta and Mirina are sitting on the bench, there's like a, a wide shot and you can just sort of just about make out Guel's tent among some trees. I like camping myself, so I was like tickled watching it. I got the urge to go camping. I will yeah, never camp. I've never camped. No. <laughs> um, it, it's sort of, it's one of those things, it's one of those images that really took off, particularly in Japan. Um, a lot of comparisons with um, Yuru Camp, which I, I mentioned earlier. Uh, so a little bit of a, a little bit of crossover appeal there. Camping must be awful though in space colonies, just because the space is so presumably so limited. Like it's like you're camping in your backyard. Yeah, it is a little bit like that, and I think the um, the fact that like based on that later later scene, essentially Google is just camping just off like a main thoroughfare in the school. So <laughs> just for the there's something like just inherently funny about that as well. He hasn't really gone that far. I wish like the camera pans slightly to the left and you just see like Mia tending to her greenhouse. <laughs> so anyway, Ghoul is watching the battle on his computer. He acknowledges that Suleta is at a disadvantage as he's sipping his coffee. PMC, do you think it's coffee? I know you mentioned on Twitter, hot beverage, coffee. Yeah, I think it's probably coffee. Ghoul seems like a coffee drinker. Yeah. Loud bit coffee. of coffee of defeat. Yeah, a bit of coffee of defeat. All right, I like it. Chase ensues as Suleta tries to reverse her fortunes. Alan seems to be losing strength. The permit seems to be draining from his body, if that is in fact how permit works. However, he manages to disable the aerial's new flight unit. 
Thinking he has her on the ropes, Alan uses his drones to finish her off. However, Suleta, or perhaps more accurately, the Ariel, uses some sort of energy wave disabling the oncoming drones. Suleta then employs the same move on Alan to ultimately claim victory, cutting up the Ferrect. Okay, so it's it's the anti Gundam technology from the prologue, right? Like that's what uh, that I is. I wonder about. I wonder about that. Like it does. It visually does resemble the mm. um, the, um going by the Beggar Base um manual. It's called an antibody attack. Okay. Um, but I I actually thought that the visual effect, and I I should I'd have to go back and compare them. Um, more accurately resembles the um like the gunned effect like you see it come off the um off the uh off the gunned bits so i actually wonder if it's more similar to the um the unicorn gundam's ability to hijack uh hijack funnels from other saikomu equipped mobile suits um so i i wonder if that's what it is i mean the aerial is a gundam so it uses the same kind of communication technology that the farrak does but it's just more powerful, so it just overwhelmed his control, perhaps. That was sort of my my interpretation of that scene. Before the episode ends, however, Alan sees a vision of his mother, Belle? Pam C, help me out here. Yeah, so I think the, I mean, the, the likeness or similar in, similarity in appearance to Belmaria Winston is inescapable. Um, of course, that doesn't tell us exactly what the relationship is. It could be, you know, it could actually be her, uh, her, you know, biological or adopted child, or it could be that she, you know, took pity on this child that got brought in for corporate purposes and has come to, you know, tried to treat him as a child, probably, in, in, you know, contradiction to corporate edict. So we don't know what the relationship is, but I think, um, yeah, I think it's probably Belle. I am. Um, I actually think otherwise. I think it's, um, I think it's his actual birth mother. Mm. Um, the background of the, uh, the scene is like this uncovered brick interior of a house. So I am, um, this is just a guess. I think it's likely that Alan was originally an earthian. Mm. Um, and so that was before he was taken by pale technologies. Um, so I, I mean, uh, you could learn all kinds of things going forward, but my, my sort of guess is it's not Belmaria. I think it's somebody different. Yeah. I'm between basically both of your takes. That's why I threw the question to both of you. To wipe my hands, wash my hands of responsibility. <laughs> but he's having this vision as Suleta, who's gotten out of the aerial, um, she's floating over to him to retrieve him. Suleta reassures him that there are people who will celebrate his birthday, stressing that she's one of them. The two float gently in space before Mirin, playing the role of the gracious and understanding bride, picks them up. So they, wow, you had a good bit here about uh, how Mirian has been characterized. Yeah, it's um, it, it's interesting that she always uses like the marriage and relationship terminology. You know, she's she's the bride, so it is the groom. She doesn't mind a little bit of two timing and so on. So, um, you know, she didn't get quite as much focus because it's Alan's focus episode. Um, but she's she's there, always reminding you that she's the she's the legal wife, and in particular. The fact that she forces the holder uniform on Siletto, who otherwise wouldn't care, I think, is like I think really goes to show how Miriana actually feels about Siletto, which is it's it's quite positively, quite positively, I think. I totally agree. Miriana seems a lot older than she is. She, I feel like she's like swilling wine near a pool as a thirty-eight-year-old. 
<laughs> yeah, it's interesting, you know, the circumstances have forced her to grow up. She's actually younger than Siletta. Um But, uh, yeah, she does give the impression of being older. Quite a, a good dynamic. Yeah, wrapping up my thoughts very briefly. I love all these bits with the kids. Uh, they're very near and dear to my heart now. Siletta, most of all, but the other ones, most of them have endeared themselves to be even Alan, who i'm not too warm on just because usually his character archetype kind of slides off of me but like i said with rollo uh there's the chance that he wins me over by the very end well you know he, he he's definitely warmed up in a way <laughs> that's true i think i spoke too soon there uh, <laughs> the ceos of pale technologies decide to kill Alan against bell's objections they see him as a liability. They prefer to move on to the next uh, doppelganger. Sleta waits for Alan at a park bench. They had plans. Uh, very like, emotional gut punch at the end of the episode. How did you two feel about the ending? I think my um, I was watching it and sort of processed it. It's like a, practically a microwave or something. And I was like, oh my god! <laughs> really? In episode six? Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a surprise. I really did I expected a different trajectory for that character instead of directly into a kill box. <laughs> Are we we're sure it's a kill box? Like, we do think he... Like, they don't just, like, race his mind. Like, we think that's incineration? Uh, look, I, I mean, it, it could be anything, but I did get the impression, like, um... Like, one way or the other, I mean, he'll be, quote-unquote, dead. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, yeah, but uh, I did get the impression that it's supposed to be an incinerator. Okay. So, uh... <laughs> Just yeah. a very elaborate room. I was like, what is this room for? Like, did someone who, like, watched, like, uh, you know, the Space Odyssey or, or whatever, you know, did they, they like, oh, we got to make a big one. It's going to be an incinerator. It's going to have a red eye. It's going to be very menacing. Like, who, you know, it just seemed, um, it, it seems so elaborate for, uh, for a group that I expect to be more, uh, more practical, you know, like, I, I would expect them to, like, throw them into, uh, to like a, a like a wood chipper, you know, to to re- harvest his parts or something. I don't know. Yeah, I get where you're coming from. It does like it is quite you know, technologically advanced looking for something which apparently is just gonna well maybe has just burnt him to a crisp. But then I, I think a lot about like the technologically advanced um, milk cartons that everybody mm. has. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> the, the really elaborate straw design. So I mean, hey, like maybe that's just how it looks. That's just how but, it is. Um, yeah. Yeah, but it, it certainly it is possible that it may not be like literal physical death. It may be something else, which would be you know horrifying in its own right. way. A different. I mean, to yeah. be clear, I think what happened was bad. <laughs> I just don't know <laughs> what flavor of horror it was. Yeah, it's just um and uh, look, I mean, in this uh, in this setting, which has like a, a big emphasis on like man machine interfaces and human modification, you know, memory erasure is certainly possible and you know, pretty bad in itself. eh? so, um, very unfortunate, not what I expected. Um, quite a surprise. Um, and yeah, just a sad moment, you know, accompanied by again, happy birthday. Yeah. I didn't think about it until PMC brought it up, but it was Alan just Giast. Is that what just happened? <laughs> Could be. Could be. I mean, um, if they could salvage his body, it wouldn't be such a bad thing for the company, right? My initial read was closer to Lau's. I, I, I definitely see where PMC is coming from. For me, though, if he is killed, like this is for me like the first confirmed kill. Because I, I even think Nadim's still alive. Um, I mentioned uh, Cardo, I think, is still alive. Cardo's definitely still alive. Nadim might be, or maybe he's like living within something. Who knows where the show's going to go. 
The girls that Choo Choo punched are dead. We're never going to see them again. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, um, you know, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of talk on Twitter about, like, don't get too excited. This is Gundam. They're all going to die. Um, and that's actually, actually, Gundam has a reputation of being more lethal than I think it actually is. Um, but, yeah, killing a, a, a major named character. I mean, Alana's in the OP. By episode six, is like that's quick. That is that is particularly lethal by Gundam standards. Curious, uh, what how Alan Five is going to behave once he's interacting with the kids? There's sort of two directions I think that this can go in, which is that they roll up on your enhanced human number five, um, or the actual real Alan comes to school because they don't have any other choice. Um, and in a way, I kind of hope it's that because yeah, he's such an he's, he's such an asshole. So it would just be really quite amusing to watch Saleta try to interact with this self-important corporate heir who thinks that, like you know, the very ground he walks on is sacred. So um, yeah, I guess we'll find out in two weeks. I'm excited to see where it goes from here. Um, a genuinely, really, really good episode. Like. Um, they've all been strong. I've had a good time every week, but this episode in particular, just ah, fantastic. Likewise. I, I mentioned my two concerns earlier in the episode. One, that what's going to happen when Okuchi runs out of convenient plot twist, or the plot twist that he's building up to, once he's expended those, where's he going to go narratively? Um, mm. So that has me fearful. And not to end on a downer, but also I'm, I'm getting a little tired of the bog standard dual format. I hope they shake it up in future episodes. At least in the immediate, like, next three or four episodes. But eventually, I imagine they're going to get off Ostacasia, so it's not going to be duels. It's going to be larger-scale military battles. Yeah, I, I kind of think, like, Shattuck needs to have a duel. I think there's sort of, like, um, he's he's got the Mikey Alice somewhere in, like, in storage. It's got to come out. Um, so there will probably be at least one more duel um, before the end of this core. But whether it's the next immediate mini arc or if it's closer towards the end of the um of the core like i guess we'll see but um i, I get what you mean like at some points you know the penny's got to drop and, and something's going to change i think from a it would be more likely that it would happen at sort of like episode 26 i think it's you know, it's something confirmed that it's a, a full four core show but it'd be a, it'd be a surprise if it wasn't and so I would think that the second half would f- follow the format set by Gundam Double O or um, Iron Blooded Orphans, where there's a, a pretty big change in the break between halves. So, but um, yeah, very curious to see what happens next. But overall, I will say, despite the fact I ended on a negative, I'm very positive about episode six. I, I did feel um, like an emotional gut punch at the end, even though I'm I'm a little lukewarm on Alon. Yeah, it, it's sort of um, it, like it's quite effective character writing, isn't it? He wasn't actually in it that much. Yeah. He got a bit of focus earlier on, and he has his two focus episodes, and then he's he's dead. But um, I, I didn't feel cheap to me. It felt quite. Um, it was quite effective. PMC, how did you feel? I think the uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's doing a lot with with little with a little bit, which is which is always great. It's a very usually Gundam is not where I go to for my efficient storytelling, but I think that they're mm-hmm. doing some pretty good stuff with it here. Yeah, it's um no, it's a good TV show. What do you know? Gundam is good. <laughs> so yeah, so Lau, promote yourself again. Shout shout your accomplishments from the rooftops. 
Yeah, sure. Um, again, I'm I'm Leo Griffin. You can find me at at the Great Surf or one word on Twitter. Uh, I have a I have a blog called uh, thegreatsurf.com. Uh, I only post occasionally there, so maybe come find me on Twitter before anything else. Uh, and while there is still a Twitter, yeah, you want to plug your Mastodon? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't I don't have one yet. I'm sort of thinking about it. Mastodon is like one of those services where you can run it yourself and. I have an inclination to do that, but I think it would be a bad idea. So that's going to take some more thinking, I think. Yeah, we're in the same boat. PMC, do you want to... I guess real quick, before PMC gives our plugs, next week is a clip show episode, hopefully. We're planning on it being a clip show episode, so they're really that, that's the biggest plot twist Okuchi can do. It not being a clip show episode will really throw things off. We, then we have a very <laughs> interesting episode on Monday, or Wednesday. Yeah, look, um... Yeah, it's unfortunate. The fact that it is a clip show does... You know, there were rumours ahead of the show that there were production issues, and I think that um, there was a bit of bit of discourse uh, about whether or not Gundam actually had... Um, whether G-Witch actually had production issues, and there was some fighting between Gundam fans and um, Sakaga fans, and it was, it was a whole I know, mess. I know exactly but. who you're subtweeting. And when I look at that discourse on Twitter, I'm always like, ghoul in the woods with the coffee. <laughs> it's um yeah so i think that this clip show is like a um like an expression of those production issues and i hope that they're able to get the show under control i mean i don't want to i don't want any animators to be crunching for my entertainment you know they've, they've been doing a great job so far and uh <laughs> i hope everybody stays healthy yeah i I'm, I'm actually love it as a mecha podcast because i don't need to write up notes for next week we are planning on recording an episode we're gonna get coop and russell into a room we're gonna put a timer on basically and just free ball for like an hour like a little under an hour and a half just shooting the shit about the first six episodes of g witch so far sounds great I'll, I'll definitely have to tune in to uh uh radio free mercury Yes, thank you for plugging that, because I always forget to plug the second podcast. I'm always quick to promote Giant Robot FM, forgetting that Radio Free Mercury is one of our most popular uh, side podcasts. Might be the Easily the <laughs> most popular side ca- con- content that we've produced. Fantastic. It's, it's the power of the Witch Free Mercury. Mm-hmm. What a great show. Yeah, I guess on that note, I can mention, of course, uh, that if you are a patron, thank you so much for supporting us directly. Uh, if you're into Discord, we do have a patron-exclusive Discord, which you can go and hop into. Uh, I should mention over on the main feed, we just wrapped up our coverage of Kukuru Stones Island, and we will soon be getting coverage of the first season of The Big O, so be sure to check out those podcasts. Uh, and then also, if you really, really want to support us, we have a, another premium side project that we do called Simulator, which we where we cover mecha video games with the same treatment that we give to mecha anime. We've done the first three Armored Core games, Zardion, currently working on a Front Mission history episode that we hope to release around the time that the Front Mission first remake comes out. Uh want to give credit to Dwarf S for our graphics and credit to Fretzel, hashtag ban Fretzel, for the music that we use. So I could have ended this with uh, a rendition of the Happy Birthday song, but I'm going to restrain myself. So you all will have to hum it, listeners, to yourself in the privacy of whatever accommodations that you're in now. <laughs> <laughs>